رزق از رنگ اللہ تعالیٰ برکتاں عطا فرمائے انہوں نے سو ایم گن گو اسٹریٹ ان ٹو اٹ اچھا سو السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ وعلیکم السلام اچھا سو شیخ صاحب ایم گن جسٹ اسٹارٹ آف ود اسمال انٹروڈکشن اباؤٹ یور سیلف ہاؤ ڈی یو کم ٹو دا دین سائڈ اینڈ ہاؤ ڈی یو مطلب کہ مطلب کہ پرمپرا دا سلسلہ ویڈ رول اسٹارٹ فرام اندر ناؤ ماشاء اللہ یو ریٹن اے بک از ویل ہاؤ ڈی رول بیگن ویڈ یو گیٹ دا موٹیویشن فرام اسمال انٹروڈکشن ویل ود ریگارڈ ٹو موٹیویشن پرائمری موٹیویشن واز ریڈنگ فرام اے یونگ ایج ماشاء اللہ صحیح اینڈ ریڈنگ بکس لائک اے بک آئی ریڈ وین آئی واز یونگر آن دا بیٹل آف بدر ایف یو ریمبر سم آف دا بکس پبلشڈ ان پاکستان سم ٹائمس پی ایچ ڈی اسٹوڈنٹس ووڈ ہیو دے پی ایچ ڈیز پبلشڈ چیپ کوالٹی بٹ ایٹ دا سیم ٹائم دوز بکس ووڈ بی سولڈ ان اردو بازار بٹ دین Pakistani uh, traders, hmm. book traders, book merchants would import those books into bookshops like Kashmir Book Center on Stratford Road. Hmm. And then uh, at a young age, I would go into those bookshops, purchase the books, read them, and hmm. that would inspire me hmm. in order to act upon our deen, our religion. Mashallah. And of Mashallah. course, encouragement from the environment hmm. and home as well. So you, Mashallah. And then you went on to Aliban, Mullah Ghulam Bakhshidi Sahib, and then from there you delivered. Yes, so Allama Rasul Bakhshidi, Hafizahullah, would teach in one of the masjids in Birmingham. Yeah. And when I would go to the masjid to pray my salah, I would observe him teaching some of the lithographic editions of Usul al-Shashi, or Mishkatul Masabih, and these type of books, and that Yeah. and that um, uh, piqued my interest yeah. in studies and uh, knowing wanting to know the primary sources of Islam Subhanallah so now let's come to the mozu now the topic so now where did it all begin with this uh, atheism and uh, this uh, Islam uh, as we know in our books they're known as Mushtashrikoons and the Mulhideen Um, where does it all begin with? How did they come into power? Where, and you see our Muslims today, they've gone, become mulhids as well. Where does a student start from? And then he, or a person starts, his aqidah starts to tremble, go kharab, like to go in there. So, uh, initially, uh, what you referred to firstly, I would uh, mention the meaning of ilhad, which is, hmm. In Arabic, is atheism. Mulhid is someone who is an atheist. Mm. Even in Pakistan, you have this movement of former atheists mm. yeah. known as uh, Mulhideen. So you yeah. have this individual, Haris Sultan, mm. and who is a YouTuber. And he yeah. his main uh, attempts are to sow doubt mm. into the hearts of Muslims. Yeah. Al-Mustashriqoon, the second term you mentioned, hmm. is in reference to Orientalism, yeah. which is more broad than atheism. Atheism is more specifically a critique of religion uh, yeah. and the very existence of God Almighty, yeah. while Al-Mustashriqoon is an attempt to discredit the sources of Islam specifically, yeah. whether from a Christian perspective, a Jewish perspective, yeah. or even Hindu hmm. fundamentalists today yeah. who 
take uh, an interest yeah. in discrediting uh, Islamic sources, the Quran and the Sunnah, primarily yeah. speaking, and also in an attempt to tarnish the character of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So, the ostensible method of atheists is in order to uh, place doubts, sow doubts in the hearts of Muslims. There is a claim to science, which yeah. is known as scientism. Mm. A claim to science scientism. that science leads to atheism. This mm. some have termed as being scientism. So this yeah. is one method in order to deter people from religion. Yeah. Secondly, you have arguments against Sharia. Yeah. So Sharia law. There are people who would not want a divinely revealed law. Yeah. Because they believe a divinely revealed law curtails their freedoms to follow desires and whatnot. So yeah. this is a second assault that is carried out against religion, but yeah. specifically al-Islam. The third is objection to God or objections to God, which is known as the problem of evil. Yeah. Uh, and the, the response is known as theodicy. And this is the third uh, assault, meaning questioning the divine actions of God Almighty. Yeah. These are three of the common methods yeah. uh, in order to deter someone away from religion, but more specifically al-Islam. Yeah. Where do we find these type of arguments? We may find them in places like universities. You will find them in Birmingham University, for instance. Yeah. There was a time when they even distributed uh, manuals on evolution theory for mm. new students. Yeah. For free, free distribution. So, you. so an introduction to evolution theory as being a viable at alternative to the the narrative of creation. So, you. and then after this, bringing people into the university environment where you have uh, fornication, clubbing, drinking, hmm. these type of desires as an alternative lifestyle, even in many cases. Uh, these things are presented as alternative lifestyle then you have lgbt for those who are inclined that way mm. and maybe even replacing islam's sharia with political alternatives mm. like the extreme left and the extreme right yeah depending on the person's socio-economic background so, so yeah. this is how uh, we are faced with atheism today in modern britain yeah. but not only modern britain due to globalism yeah. globalization yeah uh, atheism now is a f global phenomena yeah which global fitna tribulation yeah. which muslims are facing yeah. exposure to the internet yeah exposure to articles social that media social media uh, lectures yeah so our task yeah as muslims is yeah. to counter the arguments counter the narrative say so you yeah uh, before we uh, start on some of these questions that we've got listed, most of them are from the public. The first question to ask is, um, you know, when we ask probable questions that people may not have thought about, would that not lead people to thinking about them and perhaps going astray? So uh, I believe those questions that you refer to as probable questions are actually uh, already in the um, the internet uh, you'll find yeah. uh, those questions already floating uh, across the internet and uh, people are already exposed to them so we are not uh, exposing people to those questions in fact 
what we as Muslims or Muslim scholarship are attempting to do is to counter those arguments and to uncover the fallacies within those very same arguments. Say right. it. Okay, inshallah. Um, where does atheism stem from? So atheism is as ancient as human beings because rejection of God Almighty is addressed in the Quran which was revealed over 1400 years ago but yeah. you also have rejection of God yeah. uh, prior to uh, the revelation of the Quran so as old as humanity we have right. atheism so, so yeah. can we say that it's a unnatural state yes uh, atheism in my opinion is an emotional problem and in some cases a psychological problem because if you look at all atheist arguments they will always be intertwined with emotion some of the people who tend to turn toward athe towards atheism, many of them have emotional problems. Someone may be, have been beaten by a mulwi in a masjid with a stick. Mm. Some of them sexually abused by it's priests or mulwis or whoever. Mm. And because of this, uh, in places like Pakistan, for instance, where yeah. the madrasa yeah. is conducive to sexual uh, abuse and uh, likewise... Uh, physical abuse, verbal abuse, psychological abuse, but not only in Pakistan, in other places also, m some of the atheists, uh, a, a group from amongst them at least, are a produce of such type of abuse. So I believe it's an emotional problem. Or women who leave Islam because of cultural uh, issues like forced marriages, failed marriages, uh, believing that the rights of women have been uh, impinged, uh, undermined and therefore they leave Islam totally uh, or a third uh, problem is freedom to abandon the Sharia of Islam so pe some people have uh, the feeling that Islam constrains, their, constrains them is like a tight jacket that uh, limits the fulfillments of their desires so therefore that leads to an emotional psychological problem which makes them leave Islam so as intellectual as an atheist may attempt to be once the intellectual and rational arguments have been dismantled you will always find an, an emotional and psychological motive for the atheism which tends to go toward two aspects one is the removal of sharia law from one's life yeah. and the second is objection to god so objection uh, to god uh, being in the form of the problem of evil why does God create evil? Why does God permit these disasters, uh, disease, pestilence, mm. and these type of things? And all of these things yeah. are, need to be addressed in an intellectual fashion. But even after the inter arguments have been totally dismantled, after this, uh, the uh, the atheist still may not adopt Islam or religion or theism so, yeah. simply because of the emotional problems. So, I'll, I'll ask you a question, like. Um, uh, have you ever faced atheists? Yes, multiple times I've mm. uh, debated atheists. Uh, mm. Some of those uh, debates have been uh, in Manchester University. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And um, those debates are available on the internet. Yeah. But also many debates that have not been recorded. Say you. So I've encountered atheists and former Muslims many times. And I'm willing to face and count, encounter them, engage with them uh, on all platforms. So, yeah. right. Meaning there's no shying away from facing their arguments. Mm. From the profanities, they may move from 
profanities which the profanities are carried out in order to bring out an emotive reaction from muslims See. so profanities against allah profanities against the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam mentioning the marriage of sayyida aisha radhiyallahu anha for instance yeah. this is done in order that muslims become emotive in their argumentation their mm-hmm. modus operandi in disputation so uh, i'm willing to face these type of atheists and yeah. respond to their emotive arguments so let's yeah. let's, let's start from mr aisha then how do you deal with that question someone was to come to so you very simply that firstly uh, the age of aisha radhiyallahu anha is not an issue of creed yeah secondly anthropologically speaking uh, women were considered women mm. in that period in ancient arabia and mm. other parts of the world so, yeah. at, at the age of puberty mm. so they say oh she at the time of marriage she was not ha, had not reached the age of puberty but uh, what we mean by marriage here is the consummation the consummation of marriage was carried out uh, and uh, at the age of puberty and in mm. islamic law children were deemed as adults once they reached the age of puberty this yeah. is why salah prayer for instance yeah is fard is an obligation when a girl reaches 9 yeah. or uh, her period uh, time of her menses yeah so aisha radhiyallahu anha socially speaking in arabia at the time was deemed a woman hmm. so if with time with the passage of time uh, the uh, anthropologists firstly will say that you cannot judge an ancient civilization with modern standards so then the question comes in does islam permit child marriage and the response is very simple that consummation of marriage is not permitted with children because it is deemed as being harmful and the Uh, the judgment of this is deferred to the qadi who is the district judge or the local judge of that region who determines whether a young girl has reached maturity and this was a legal ruling in that time hmm. so in order to bring out an emotive argument instead of meaning it's a non sequitur to say the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam married aisha radhiyallahu anha who according to modern standards was underage therefore god does not exist and islam is untrue Yeah. I mean it's a non sequitur the reasoning doesn't follow yeah, so this sense. is where i go back to saying these are emotive arguments but uh, very rationally speaking we say that in our ancient arabia women were deemed as women mm. uh, once they passed the age of menses islamically speaking also women are deemed as women once they pass the age of uh, menses mm. but to de- then the the additional question is do we permit marriage at that age today and the answer is that that is the discretion of the rulers of a country who yeah. look at the variables yep. in any society so mm. with the passage of time the social norms have changed therefore we do not so even in countries like pakistan the age of consent now is 18 yeah so again that some people would find this question very difficult to respond to but yeah. in fact the question is very easy to respond to yeah. and it's a non sequitur to go from the marriage of aisha radhiyallahu anha to the conclusion that god almighty does not exist absolutely yeah, yeah it does make sense you know um uh, you mentioned a few points uh, earlier which inshallah smother will pick up on one by one um you mentioned pakistan as well uh, and i suppose you would consider that uh, atheism is spreading is in pakistan as well well without giving um some type of credence to atheist movement or new atheism yeah 
Yeah. Atheism has always been present in the Muslim world. Right. So uh, the mutakallimin, the theologians in their yeah. books of Kalam, they always mention the encounters of the Aimma, the great Imams, with multiple factions of atheists. So the famous story of Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah yeah. ta'ala, yeah. when engaging with the atheists in the mm. mosque. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what happens today is atheists, they make propaganda in order to say Islam is so irrational and religion generally is so irrational that today we are growing exponentially in the Muslim world. This is not the case. Muslims generally in every century have been dealing with a, a, a subtle growth of atheism amongst um, various uh, segments of the community. And the mutakallimin, who are the theologians, rational theologians, they have always encountered uh, their arguments. So that is what is occurring today. So Richard Dawkins may have wrote uh, The God Delusion, but I have written Islam Answers Atheism, yeah. and uh, meaning the book uh, adequately responds to his argument. So we are countering the arguments. We are countering the arguments. Yeah. As for emotional and social issues, that falls on the shoulders of the uh, rulers, the, the, the governance, the system mm. of governance in those yeah. places. Right, right. You know, this um, uh, UK context of atheism, uh, not just talking about the world today, you, we would see that, or we would say that uh, atheism has risen in the world uh, compared to the past historically. Is that true? No, I would uh, firstly say that the f- world population has increased. Okay. So, from a hundred years ago, the the population of the world uh, has increased in its hundreds and millions. And therefore, uh, to state that atheism has grown uh, in comparison to previous times, we would say the number of atheists has increased because the population has increased. Right. But if you actually read various surveys, they mention that people in uh, religion, there there was a wave of people moving away from religion, but then there's a counter wave of where people return back to religion, whether Islam or Christianity. Right. Okay. So, you know, in the in the UK context, if you can say that atheism varies from country to country or continent to continent, just in the land that we're living in, uh, how would you define atheism here? So atheism is specifically in reference to the uh, the non-belief yeah. in God, specifically, right? not uh, former Muslims. So you may have former Muslim movements, but sometimes former Muslims could be Christians. So uh, this is a reference to new... The, bo- the book that I wrote is a response to what is termed as being new atheism, which was led by Sam Harris, mm-hmm. uh by Richard Dawkins, yeah. uh, Christopher Hitchens, uh, Daniel Dennett, and Lawrence Krauss and others. Yeah. So, Prob- so this uh, is modern atheism where... New atheism, what is referred to as new yeah. atheism, yeah. which uh, came about, its inception was after 9-11. So after the 9-11 attacks, yeah. uh, vitriolic arguments, emotive arguments, mm-hmm. in order to debunk Islam, debunk... Uh, religion as a whole uh, and very imprecise in terms of mentioning historical facts for instance very imprecise like stating that Islam had a scientific growth Mm. in the early 300 years and then the religious uh, clergy or the ulama were the ones who took the 
Islamic Caliphate away from science and scientific progress, mm. which is absurd because anyone who knows anything about yeah. Islam would know that the first hundred year, the first fifty years of Islam alone were led by the caliphs who were extremely religious. Yeah. Who adhere to the Quran well, and Sunnah, yeah. and then even the later caliphs, many of them, like Umar bin Abdulaziz and others, yeah. they were extremely religious. And yet, the uh, Umayyad Caliphate and the Abbasid Caliphate, both of these, progressed with scientific uh, revolutions occurring yeah. in that period. So these are emotive, invective arguments which have no basis. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Can we classify atheism as a cult? Or a state of being? Well, I would say new atheism can be classified as a cult. Right. Richard Dawkins is the cult leader or the yeah. pope of new atheism. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Actually, what uh, about if someone comes and reads uh, Robert Spencer's book, Does Muhammad Exist? But if someone, a student, was to read that book, what advice would you give to such a person? This book, uh, someone uh, again mentioned this book to me, Robert Spencer's book, he, where he claims the Prophet ﷺ was not an actual historical person, person who existed. Yeah. An absurd argument, yeah. uh, typical of many Western writers yeah. who even when they make such claims about Jesus, Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam, yeah. unsubstantiated claims, uh, more of a conspiratorial type of research. So if you ask any... Um, a real yeah. historian from Oxford University or Cambridge University, they would totally discredit such type of books. Yeah. So Robert Spencer and others, they also uh, mention uh, these type of authors, they will question the veracity or the historicity of the Quran, the authentic transmission of the Quran. They will question this. Yeah. But... Uh, when it comes to works that have reached us through mass transmission, like the Magna Carta, mm. so Magna Carta from the time of King John mm. is deemed as an authentic document. Yeah. Uh, the Doomsday Book from the from 1066 yeah. of uh, William the Conqueror is deemed as an authentic document. But they may say, oh, the document uh, still exists, the original still exists. But the continuous transmission of the Quran having been memorized by millions of people yeah. is more authentic than just a piece of paper. Yeah. That from generation to generation we have millions of people memorizing the Quran yeah. which has been transmitted for 1400 years. Then we have the, the blessed grave of the Prophet in Medina. In al Madina for 1400 years plus people from every year during after the Hajj they go to al Madina yeah. consecutively have been visiting the grave of the Prophet Sallallahu So these type of facts to uh, totally demolish any such claims. There's even an absurd claim now that the Petra Valley was the real Mecca. So this is another claim yeah, sorry that Petra thing. Valley in Jordan right. is the okay. real Mecca. So these are the well. type of claims, absurdities and assault on the intellect. This is, this is why I term... Um, Atheism as an absolute, uh, ab the absolute assault mm. on intellect. Mm. Right. Yeah. Can we go into some uh, technical issues now regarding atheism? First of all, um, some people say what we cannot comprehend with our five senses cannot be a fact. Again, this uh, is an outdated claim which was made by empiricists. So philosophers tended to divide into two camps, empiricists and rationalists, and then there were those who attempted to synthesize between the two. 
but the empiricists claimed we can only prove as a matter of fact that which we feel with our five senses and then david hume made a category of relations of ideas so the first category is those things which we attain from senses and then there's something known as relations of ideas and immanuel kant then later um, reined him in reined in his skepticism later you had the logical positivists in the early 1900s and logical positivism also fell out of favor and went out of fashion in the 1960s so these are outdated materialist claims which have been uh, debunked with time because if you if you only validate those things which can be empirically proven and empirically here meaning tangibly in the sense that physically with the senses then you would have to uh, you would have to debunk much of science so relativity for instance the theory of relativity what would happen to newtonian physics what would happen to quantum theory these are not things that are empirically empirically in the sense that tangibly proven yeah. and so, so much of science becomes discredited this is why uh, logical positivists fell out in the vienna circle and all these groups of philosophers they fell out of fashion so they're no longer in fashion so uh, materialism and empiricism are not something new these claims are not something new if someone says we only believe in what we see uh, the the counter claim can be we see god with our minds and our hearts this can be a counter claim that the heart meaning the emotions and the mind is also a a within a, an, an inbuilt system of uh, observ- observation and detection but uh, additionally there are so many things that we do not tangibly know empirically but we know that they exist as a matter of fact so what muslim theologians uh, in the in, in what is known as epistemology the system of approaching knowledge is we have a combination of rationalism and empiricism a combination of both so we we rely on empiricism but we also have rational judgments and then we have also combination of both and we also rely on authentic reports like i've never seen paris i've never seen paris but i know paris exists but i can never tell you tangibly physically i've seen paris mm-hmm. but that's re- reached me by way of mass transmission so by through the method of empiricism i should reject even the existence of paris even if hundreds of people inform me of paris existing so again uh, outdated philosophies have been countered in the kalam uh, methodology See, the classic example is like uh, you can't see the you can't see the brain so does that mean it doesn't exist yeah. well they, they countered that by saying <laughs> yeah. we smash the skull and we find uh, the brain but the thing is you say then the intellect intellect is something that we do not see so yeah. we see the physical brain yeah, but, but the, where's the intellect yeah. yeah or the heart and its sad emotion or happy emotion etc you know uh, there is um, uh, can you say that there is some force or power that we do not know about that has set everything up as it is and has not told us any reason why so this is now um, deism which antony flew who was a famous english philosopher analytical philosopher most mm. Uh, western philosophers tend to be analytical philosophers mm. yeah the bertrand russell types and he at the end 
adopted deism now when he adopted deism he from his mind he acknowledged certain divine attributes but he did not believe in the christian god or the muslim god deism now states that a creator a divine being or a cause for the universe created everything set everything in emotion in motion and then did not inform us deism most specifically is left the world to its own running like a clock yeah but then you can say a closer view is god is running the universe god is controlling the universe but has not communicated with us now this is where islam comes in that we have what is referred to as the kalamullah al-quran al-karim the divine speech of allah so someone who believes in a god would just have to read the quran and with regard to the prophethood of the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam his character and his seerah his biography and then it's a personal choice after this whether they believe this god has communicated with us or not right okay so we but it's not the uh, it's not the discussion with atheists because atheists yeah. deny the very existence of such a creator yes yes okay um going on to muslims some muslims say that uh, is is this true doubting but not denying is disbelief yes so some people misinterpret uh, some of the ashari mutakallimin saying the first obligation is another which is investigation but uh, th- what this means is reaffirming your faith not doubting right. so we do not start to doubt and then believe after doubt we believe but then we investigate an investigation is sufficient it's sufficient for a muslim to believe because he believes in the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and believes in the quran that's sufficient but when facing arguments from atheists or facing arguments from detractors of islam it's essential upon that muslim to learn the counter arguments right okay that's fine you know uh, investigating the truth from a neutral standpoint that would not be classified as disbelief or would it uh, again uh, any muslim who claims to have a neutral standpoint but then concludes uh, as a muslim he would deemed be deemed as a muslim but if they mean as a neutral standpoint that they are uncertain with regard to the truthfulness and the veracity of the quran and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam this would be considered disbelief okay but if they're not doing that they're just doing it from a fair point of view looking at both arguments so staying themselves not in uh, from an no muslim could claim that he's neutral in that regard the main thing a muslim would have to do is counter the arguments against the iman or the faith uh, that he espouses right okay uh, getting on to the actual question um if you were to prove that god exists to an average person who's not read the books or the arguments how would you do that the very existence of creation informs us that there is a cause for the universe simple okay so when i look around um and i see that you know people are different and i start thinking yeah uh, people are different though they're all humans their faces are different their minds are different etc that so there must be some uh, great entity that has created this yeah that's what you're talking about or when i look at there's various forms of that mm-hmm. but uh, some of them they give the names like the design argument the argument from contingency mm-hmm. uh, that the universe had no 
uh, the, the universe has a beginning, the argument from contingency, mm. and therefore anything that comes from ex nihilo, meaning from nothing, and then comes into existence, instantiated, therefore it must have been instantiated by an eternal being. So that's sufficient. That being sufficient, the counter-arguments are what need to be responded to. What are the counter-arguments? Evolution theory, um, the claim that science uh, disproves the existence of such a being, and the, the argument from evil and an imperfect universe, human free will, and then the arguments against Sharia law, the seerah, the biography of the Prophet and the transmission of the Quran. These are the things that need to be counted even though the initial argument for God is sufficient, it's in fact watertight. Mm. It cannot be uh, dismantled, except with the claim that the argument is countered with those things that I mentioned. Right, okay. So um, if we prove that God exists, how do you know that it's Allah? Again, you go back to the divine attributes, meaning what do we mean when we say Allah? Now the word Allah may sound foreign, to a person born yeah. in England who has no association with Muslims, but if we exchange that word in dialogue to God, the eternal cause of the universe, then you look at the attributes that we affirm, beginningless, the aseity of God, uh, that God is uh, the endlessness of God, that God bears no resemblance to creation, that he is self-sufficient, he has divine power, divine will, these are all based on rational arguments. There is no, um, uh, there is no referral to uh, what some have termed as being natural theology. A referral, uh, there is no referral to sorry to scripture. How, what we do is we affirm these attributes from what is termed as natural theology from the rational mind alone, mm -hmm. and then uh, the adoption of Islam as a Sharia is because Sharia gives us a code of life which we go now onto the subject of uh, uh, morality and moral relativism right. that uh, yeah. some uh, that is the sharia gives us this and an a person like me would counter the detractors by saying that even punishments like amputation of the hand for theft or stoning someone for adultery which i'm citing those things which are deemed as being absolutely barbaric or inhumane these things, in fact, preserve something uh, within society, which the fuqaha, the jurists, refer to as the usul, uh, the principles of like which were what life. They preserve life. They preserve religion. They preserve lineage yeah. and honor. They preserve wealth. They preserve intellect. So even the most what uh, Western liberals will, or even liberals in general, like the class of liberals you have in Pakistan yeah, yeah. they term as barbaric Sharia law, yeah. a misogynistic Sharia law in uh, in reality if you look at the Sharia law objectively you'll find that the Sharia law when correctly applied because every law can be misinterpreted and misapplied, yeah. 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 when correctly applied then it's there for protecting the parameters so we go into moral relativism mm. and we go into other aspects of uh, why Islam is the truth. So Islam will, generally speaking, Islam acknowledges a God yeah. that can be rationally proven. Yeah. And then the additional two things is that Islam has 
a divinely revealed law which protects society and uh, thirdly it has a spiritual law which we know as ihsan which yeah. is what the internal elements of the heart which uh, islam addresses also like diseases of the heart of arrogance of caprice and all these various uh, vices of the heart so there are rational arguments to prove the truthfulness of islam as an alternative lifestyle it's an actual lifestyle islam is a lifestyle uh, that we adopt internally and outwardly also mm. right. so okay. chef i'm i'm going to ask a question okay you, you hear this question a lot in from the the youth okay if if i am going to go to hell if allah already knows that i'm going to go to hell then what's the point of me then what's the point of me doing good deeds make you know as brother why should i why should i be a good person when i know when allah already knows i'm going to go to hell <clears throat> the response of this is twofold one is that the attribute of al-ilm yeah. which is divine knowledge yeah al-ilm is a, what we refer to as a sifatul kashifa yeah. an attribute that uncovers the unknown yeah now when it's a, a sifatul kashifa it uncovers the unknown it's not an effective attribute hmm. it doesn't determine the future yeah it's not determining the future it's uncovering the future yeah so when that's made clear the choice of going to hell is made by the person through his free will say so, so the person is making the choice yeah so god has created within the individual a free will yeah for which he is judged so making this very clear people who go to hell children never go to hell according to the, the correct position yeah likewise those who are not mukallaf what are, what is mukallaf legally obliged to believe in god or obligated to believe in allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which is 10 conditions they must have intellect they must have free will they must have sound senses eyesight and hearing they cannot be in a state of coercion um uh, their limbs must be intact they cannot be imprisoned at the time yeah. uh, they cannot be intoxicated and sleeping at yeah. the time of islam reaching them 10 conditions which i mentioned yeah so after bypassing all these 10 conditions a person is mukallaf he now by through his deeds and actions and internal belief makes the choice to go to hell so, how yeah. does he make the choice by choosing to disbelieve and then this category of people when they choose to disbelieve they are such people that the quran tells us that if they were returned back to earth mm. they would remain disbelievers mm. yeah. now god knowing the choice that they will make mm. does not mean god has compelled them to make that choice they, yeah. they are making the choice themselves they, yeah. so it's right. the person's arrogance and stupidity that mm. leads him to that objection in the first place right okay you know um the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam so central in islam um can we say the the name allah uh, for god uh, we refer back to rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the way that we we would do that is because of his impeccable character and then we need to look, look at rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam in order to um counter atheism as well so uh, your question is actually uh, very relevant because Firstly the character of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is sufficient for someone to believe yeah. yeah so this is why atheists and new atheists specifically attempt to tarnish the character of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam now how do they do this they attempt to say he was misogynistic which is untrue mm. for someone who reads the sira biography they will know it's totally untrue they will attempt to say he was violent mm-hmm. 
a warlord. This is how they would describe, meaning an Arab warlord who lived in the Arabian Peninsula and he only devised this religion in order to uh, make wealth, which again, anyone who reads a, has a modicum of understanding of Sirah will know the Prophet slept on the floor, yeah. chose to live uh, without material means, yeah. by choice, yeah. distributed the wealth amongst the poor. And yeah. when they read uh, how he treated his w- wives, yeah. Yeah. so uh, there's an additional objection they have. Yeah. They say, why did the Prophet marry so many times? Now, this objection from the Western uh, Western uh, World. detractors, yeah. detractors of Islam, Western detractors yeah. of Islam, yeah. and the Eastern adhyal, meaning the tail ends, mm. you know, in the East yeah. you have tail yeah. ends yeah. Who, who follow them. This objection is hypocrisy. Why is it hypocrisy? When you have Western liberalism promulgating fornication and adultery vices amongst society how can they object to a a man who marries women see the distinction polygamy and marriage yeah you cannot because in islam if a man has virility that's not deemed as being a, a fault having virility is not a fault what is a fault is if he fulfills his virility and his manly desires through haram, through unlawful means. But if a man marries multiple times mm. and has uh, virility and manliness yeah. and he marries multiple times, mm. this is deemed as being praiseworthy. So the Prophet ﷺ marrying nine times or eleven times is deemed as being praiseworthy because the Prophet ﷺ had a virility as a man and he fulfilled that through the permissible means. Asha. Now, it would go against uh, human morality if the Prophet uh, went and committed impermissible things, adultery or fornication, which has, is never found in the seerah and the biography. So, this objection by those hypocrites falls on their face because... Uh, the, the Prophet ﷺ marrying 11 times, or Suleiman according to the Old Testament, marrying 700 times, in our Islamic code is not deemed as being uh, immoral. Mm. Marriage is not immoral. So the general na- uh, ummah has been told that you can marry up to, the men have been told they can marry up to four times yeah. within yeah. That, uh, that level. Then, of course, there are counter-objections to Sharia, why women are not permitted yeah. to marry multiple times. That's not the point here. The point is that, going back to your original question, that if some Muslim says, I believe in Islam because I believe in the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa it's sufficient. Because yeah. when you read the, the character and the seerah, it's sufficient to be a Muslim. So it's imperative now on Muslim scholarship to counter those arguments which by which they attempt to tarnish the character of the Prophet One of them being the marriage to Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha. Yeah. One of them being multiple marriages. There's a third one, which is slavery. Yeah. So during the the Black Lives Movement, some people... They use the uh, fifth Jews ayat as well. Yes. Yeah. So those now, the during the Black Lives Movement, uh, what happened was one of the uh, white establishment men he yeah. attempted to uh, defer uh, slavery to muslims or to 
detract att- um, uh, attention, deter attention, sorry, yeah. to towards Muslims. Yeah. And one uh, point he made was that the Prophet ﷺ owned slaves. Yeah. But ha- a simple response would be, the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, in his lifetime, he owned and freed 63 slaves. Mashallah. One slave yeah. per year of his life. Mm. But why? Because he would buy slaves to free them. He never bought a slave yeah. and kept the slave as a slave. He would go out his way to buy slaves in order to free them. Like uh, he commanded Abu Bakr Siddiq to buy Bilal, Bilal. Bilal to free him. Yeah. So uh, see how convoluted yeah. the argument is yeah. that they will mention something like tabloid newspapers yeah. but without mentioning the context. context. So the Prophet owned slaves. Yes, he did. He bought slaves to free them. Mm. So this is another example. Yeah. Or they will mention wife beating. Yeah. So they have two things for that. One is so with regard to slavery, just quickly, the slaves in that time, uh, slavery was commonplace in Arabian Peninsula and throughout the world. Yeah. And the verses of slavery were revealed in that context. Mm-hmm. All slavery was abolished in Islam with the exception of one. One type of slavery was permitted, which is what war captives. Yeah. So through war captives, what what war captives, warmongers. Yeah. And even then, it's the discretion of the the leader. Yeah. Even then, it's the discretion of the leader. If the leader believes it's unwise to enslave, yeah. Therefore, uh, he doesn't choose to enslave. But Guantanamo Bay, in comparison to slavery in Islam, yeah, is a, is a good comparison because in Guantanamo Bay they see no sunlight, but in Islam. If we decide to take war captives yeah. as slaves, yeah. then they would receive uh, their time, their personal time, yeah. their time to sleep, yeah. uh, clothing, yeah. but the quality of the slave master, clothing of the quality of the slave master, yeah. food of the quality of the slave master. Yeah. And they will have multiple ways of being freed. Yeah. But the only way of enslaving that remained in Islam was through war. Yeah. That, why? Because when someone enters the, the abode of Islam yeah. or wages war against Muslims they lose their right to freedom in that specific context so but even then yeah. the right is only exercised by the leader if he deems it to be correct so that's with regard to slavery with regard to wife beating there's a verse in the Quran with regard to striking the wife yeah. not beating, strike, one strike which is mentioned yeah. and of course Abdullah bin Abbas anhuma, says uh, it's with the miswak and yeah. it's only done once to reprimand the woman who violates the the uh, nikah contract. But what is not mentioned, th- firstly, this is a contextual option given to the man. It's not necessary, necessary that it be exercised. But what is not mentioned is that the woman, if she wanted to exercise this right, she takes the man to a qadi, the, the local district judge, who can also administer a blow on a dysfunctional husband. Hmm. Yeah. But it's not necessary both the wife and the man exercise this right. Yeah. So in a modern Islamic uh, country, uh, which is governed by Islamic law, it's not necessary this right be exercised. Yeah. So now this verse of the Quran is sold as wife beating. Yeah. And in order to validate that, they say, oh, the Prophet ﷺ struck Aisha radiallahu anha. So they quote a hadith well, where, the, did it. where the Prophet ﷺ uh, 
struck Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha and they interpret that as wife beating. But when you read the statement of Aisha radiallahu anha, yeah. she says the Prophet never ever struck, struck a child, yeah. never struck a woman, woman yeah. and never struck a slave. Hmm. So this strike that the Prophet did in the hadith, it, it was a strike of love. Mm. When, meaning the context of the hadith was uh, the Prophet ﷺ went to Al-Baqi yeah. and Sayyidah Aisha anha followed him and the Prophet, when, when he went back, yeah. uh, Aisha anha went back to the hujra, to the chamber yeah. and the Prophet ﷺ, out of love struck her on the chest yeah. but not in order to hit, hit her yeah. or hurt her in love. any way. It was out of love. Yeah. But I will mention something here as Sheikh Muhyuddin ibn Arabi rahimullah ta'ala said yeah. that the very essence of Iman is love for the Prophet yeah. This is why you will notice uh, people like Harris Sultan mm. and other people who have hatred for Islam, detractors of Islam, you will find yeah. that they will have a vitriolic, toxic language for the Prophet yeah. And even if the arguments, all the arguments are dismantled, they will still maintain that hatred. Yes. So the very essence of uh, kufr disbelief is a despising of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So this is why your question is very pertinent. That the essence of Islam is the character of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, which we can defend because defend in the sense that not defend in the sense that it needs the Prophet sallallahu needs defending. Yeah. Yeah we can remove the distortions yes. yeah. that are presented. And yeah. uh, the distortions are summarized in those four things that I just mentioned. Right. Okay. So uh, over here, uh, you know, some of these uh, liberalists that we have, um, especially in our Indo-Pak, atheists as well, they'll question that, look, you are so much in the love of the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that you do not accept any criticism towards him, i.e., um, so if someone wants to criticize him, you're ready to kill him, okay? According to what they yeah. state. Okay. So then, how should we, from the respond Western, respond in, in to the this? Firstly, the argument that argument is flawed. Salman al Farsi radiallahu an he was engaging with the polytheist. Yeah. And the polytheist said, "Your prophet, meaning making um, mm. a mockery." Your Prophet teaches you everything. He even teaches you how to, to relieve yourself. Yeah. Now, if that was a modern, emotive, zealot mm. Muslim today, yeah. how would he respond? Mm. And how did Salman al-Farsi respond? Salman al-Farsi said, Yes, our Prophet teaches us. Meaning, he took the distorted argument yeah. and he... he, he he placed the fallacy in front of the disbeliever yeah. that our Prophet teaches us how to relieve ourselves, meaning clean ourselves. Yeah. Clean ourselves, meaning all these, uh, and this is very carefully, I'll say this with responsibility. On the way here to Manchester, many times we stop over in service stations. Yeah. How do non Muslims relieve themselves? They use toilet paper and they do not wash themselves. Yes? When they wipe with toilet paper, if someone has excrement on the skin and they use toilet paper to wipe away excrement, their hands will, st their skin will still f smell mm. of feces. Yeah. Yes, but Salman al Farsi radiallahu and so all these liberals who use toilet paper and they never wash themselves, their backside smell of what feces. It's a fact. But 
Islam taught us what? Meaning from the basics, let's go back to the basics. Meaning Richard Dawkins should listen to this, that we as Muslims, we wipe ourselves with tissue and then we also wash ourselves and then we dry ourselves until the excrement smell and color and texture that Richard Dawkins walks around with is is removed. So this shows that how advanced Islamic civilization was. So Salman al-Farsi responded to that uh, pagan Arab by saying, yes, he does teach us. This is how Muslims should respond. Mm. So the purpose of them mentioning these type of arguments is to bring about a remote, an emotive response from Muslims. Yeah. But we should be more cerebral in our response. Mm. Cerebral, mm. meaning Muslim scholarship, Muslim clerics, and uh, the Muslim public should know the counter argument. So if you meet a non-Muslim, he says, oh, you're a prophet. Well, uh, he, and they use certain words for the Prophet that he married an underage girl and these yeah. type of arguments. Yeah. Be most disarm them. Yeah. How to disarm them? Intellectually. How to disarm them? Cerebrally. Hmm. So, yes, uh, like some people become, uh, they feel insulted if the Holocaust is denied yeah uh, again which we're, we're not deniers of historical facts uh, and we believe yeah. in <coughs> human rights of all religions and races yeah but people become and rightly so mm. they become upset why because innocent people were killed and to make a mockery of such things is um, indignant in our religion so likewise some people become insulted if let's say world war 1 the soldiers that died in world war 1 even though they didn't they missed the fact that many millions uh, hundreds and thousands of muslims uh, were recruited in in, yeah. uh, in those times in yes. world war 2 also yeah. so m- my grandfather was in the british army in world war 2 for instance which is never acknowledged by the far right here mm. in in the uk even the establishment yeah. it's never acknowledged but Likewise, there are certain criteria when addressing a Muslim and the most sacred, the most sacred to a Muslim is the, the person of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So, um, therefore, uh, but we as Muslims, when we, uh, when we face these arguments, we should be cerebral and we should disarm the argument. Mm. And we should turn the argument against the person like Sayyiduna Salman al-Farsi radiallahu yeah. anhu did. Yeah. Uh, this is the best uh, character approach that we can undertake in this day and age. I think I, I was trying to take you towards was that they say, why does Islam allow for a person to be killed for him to for for the reason blasphemy of, law? Well, blasphemy so law. now the, the bla- again the blasphemy law, <coughs> which falls into uh, also uh, the irtidad law, which is. Uh, there, uh, the person of uh, renegades from Islam. Yeah. The blasphemy law, firstly, is multifaceted. Yeah. So when you pick up a book which uh, relates to the blasphemy law, you'll read certain scenarios yeah. where the law may not apply to certain types of individuals. Yeah. So the the law is very multifaceted. It's not straightforward. Yeah. Anyone who takes a law into his own hands, there's yeah. two segments to this. One is anyone who takes the law into his own hands yeah. uh, violates the law of the country and therefore is um, faces yeah. discretional punishment of the government yeah. which could be imprisonment for life yeah. Yeah. in some cases it can be imprisonment for life so taking the law into your own hands would be impermissible in sharia and if anyone does so uh, the person is via uh, is what can face hmm. 
mm. punishment, which type of punishment, not capital punishment, because capital punishment is only done in specific cases, yeah. but they face discretional punishment. The, yeah. the ruler makes the decision what type of punishment uh, they may face. It's like someone killing a pedophile. Someone kills a pedophile. He takes the law into his own hand. He will still be punishment by, punished by law. Mm. Even though the person he killed, there's no sympathy on our part for the pedophile. Mm. But if there is a, a govern, government, the government yeah. will punish the murderer because, but they will not punish him with death. Yeah. They will punish him with imprisonment. Yeah, yeah. Then the second segment is with regard to the law itself. That the law itself, why even have a law? And does it curtail freedom of speech? The response is no. Because criticism of Islam is different to insult. Hmm. Criti- so non-Muslims, they criticized Islam and they presented counter-arguments to Islam on a regular basis in the caliphate. And the caliphs would arrange for debates in the masjids of Al-Kufa and Al-Basra yeah. were centers of learning where multiple debates would occur. Yeah. And they would criticize the Quran, criticize the Prophet ﷺ. But what they were not permitted to do is insult Insulting is even impermissible for Muslims to insult the. So, so could you elaborate on that? What does criticize mean? Criticizing criticism probably? is when a Christian is asked, "Why do you not believe in the Quran?" He gives his reasons. Yeah, he's not insulting. Yeah, do you understand? Yeah, like Al Baqilani, uh, rahimullah, he mentions the arguments of the Christians why they don't believe in the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Yeah. So they, the Christians mentioned their criticism of the Prophet ﷺ without insult. Yeah. Yeah. There's, a, there's a fine line between the in, engaging with the debated with the Christian. Imagine we held a conference in Pakistan with a Christian. Yeah. And the Christian, he criticizes Islam. Yeah. Not insults. Criticizes, yeah. So the, what is the task of the alim? To counter the arguments, yeah, yeah. not to have emotive reaction to uh, the points that the Christian may raise. There could be good, good criticism and there's bad criticism as well. You can do both. No, the, the criticism that the the non-Muslim raises yeah. uh, is insulting for a Muslim, but mm. does not fall in the rubric of what we refer to as blasphemy law. That's yeah. blasphemy law relates to something else. Yeah. 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 Okay, and in that regard, we're we're not permitted yeah. to insult yeah. the gods of other religions. Say Is that yeah. not the case in the Quran? Yeah. We're not permitted to insult, yeah. but are we allowed to criticize? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So engaging with the Hindu, yeah. you make arguments. Yeah. Why is your God? Why do you believe in this God? But am I allowed to insult and uh, their God? The answer yeah. is no. I'm not permitted. Yeah. To insult their God, but I'm allowed to make rational arguments. Yeah, so yeah. They are also permitted to make rational arguments. Yeah, but but the, we as Muslims are confident enough that we can counter all their rational arguments. So what's the purpose behind the blasphemy law? That why can't you accept it? I got mad if if I want to discriminate someone or a a, a Islamic uh, person very high rated, and I was to discriminate him. Why can't we as Muslims accept that? This is how the Western world will see it. Meaning, look, uh, in the Western world, they have libel laws. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But the, the libel laws have the clause of living individuals. So, yes. Hmm. So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is alive. Yeah. He's alive in his grave. Yeah. So his rights still stand. 
Yes. Yeah. Secondly, uh, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam has a higher standing for Muslims than anyone else. Yeah. Such a status doesn't exist in the Western world for anyone. Yeah. They make they denigrate even Jesus, Sayyiduna Isa Islam. But who said the law is only applies to the Prophet mm. We Muslims have the law that if anyone insults Jesus, the yeah. blasphemy law applies upon them. So why do uh, Moses? Yeah. If yeah. someone insults Musa salam, the blasphemy law applies on them also. Yeah. So the law is not limited. Why? Because for us Muslims, all three of them are alive. Yeah. I mean, they, Musa salam tasted death where he's alive in the grave. Yeah. The Prophet salam tasted death and he's alive in the grave. Isa salam never tasted death, was raised yeah. and shall return. Subhanallah. Inshallah. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, we have a lack of time. So just some, I've got like about five questions, common ones. Um, can we say that to know truth, debating or convincing uh, with strong arguments is the way when we preach? Because some people, they say, what's the use of debating? You can explain the context of that. See, there's uh, some people who criticize debating, uh, and in in reality, these are uh, people who have no masculinity of their own. Right. You know, they have no masculinity of their own, and they mention Al Imam Al Ghazali, rahimallah, for instance, right. who condemned debating, even though he debated himself. He did, yeah. But Al Imam Al Ghazali, rahimallah, taala, also mentioned the conditions, the preconditions of debating. Of debating but yes. before going to Al-Imam Al-Ghazali, ta'ala, go through the munadharat al-rusul in the Qur'an. Right. The yeah. debates of the messengers in the Qur'an. Ibrahim from starting from yeah. Ibrahim salam, with Nimrud, yeah. Yeah. Musa salam, with Fir'aun. Yeah. Yeah. So if the conditions are met, a person has adequate knowledge, he's not debating for the ego yeah. to satisfy his own internal lusts and desires, and all the conditions that are mentioned, then debating is a fard kifaya and a communal obligation. So th- what these people do, they utilize tasawwuf when it suits them. It's the type of people who deny, who say jihad is only jihad of the nafs. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Jihad of the nafs meaning jihad of the ego when it comes to issues like Palestine or other issues. But they won't mention the other aspects of Islam. Mm. Yes. So yeah. th- you have this trend now in the West there's a there's a strand of people that uh, say we do not enter controversial issues. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So they will say we do not enter issues like nur and uh, ilm of the Prophet ﷺ and these type of issues. But you know what their issues are? Yeah. Do you know what their issues are? The size of the beard. Yeah. Yeah. Free mixing. Yeah. yeah. These are like the big issues. The big issues. Clothing. Yeah. How we should dress. So they are telling us do not enter controversial issues, issues of dispute. But they themselves, these emasculated men, they enter fields like the big issues, burning issues. Mm. Uh, should we wear, what clothing should we wear? And they're yeah. obsessed with the, how they look. Yeah. The size of the beard, the mixing of men and women, as if these are big issues. Yes. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, they're not, they're not the big issues. The big yeah. issues are more intellectual. So... Mm. It's a type of hypocrisy these people have yeah. that they uh, condemn traditional Sunni Muslims yeah. and traditional uh, Wahhabis and others for saying, oh, you guys are argumentative. You yeah. guys are always debating. Al-Imam Ghazali said this, but they themselves enter the same problem 
in a hypocritical fashion yeah. where they believe the biggest issues of our times is the size of someone's beard mm. or ha- whether they dress with a t-shirt or a Yeah. Uh, jeans yeah, yeah as yeah. if to say these are the burning issues of the muslim community obviously those who debate not as if they don't do dua or do acts of kindness yeah. Yeah. we have a live no no we got some live questions that people are asking so uh, i've got a few here so this is from uh, bros in 2014 he's asked if the quran is a perfect book then what was the need of abrogation abrogation, abrogation in yeah. the Quran only related to legal rulings yeah that's the response yeah if the person understands that the the, the response is sufficient yeah abrogation did not re- relate to ikhbar information in the Quran yeah the abrogation was done as a systematic approach uh, for the arabs at the time that certain things like imbibing of alcohol yeah. were abrogated through stages yeah but they the abrogation only related to legal rulings this yeah. is the 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 yeah. main thing that should be taken into account yeah then the other question is how does one refute the crucifixion claim of christians of the Christians? crucifixion yeah so uh, again a uh, common sense you know when romans ex when they executed someone and crucified them yeah. they would place them on the crucifixion uh, naked yeah they would strip them naked yeah. so yeah. we as muslims do not believe in the denigration of any prophet yeah we believe god safeguards prophets from being stripped naked someone may say okay musa alayhi salam the hadith in bukhari in bukhari where he ran in front of bani israel yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the hadith doesn't state naked right it, it mentions that he was take he took off his clothes yeah and the stone ran across and he ran and they saw the skin of Musa alayhi salam yeah. in the commentaries some someone states that they uh, some of the commentaries they state that there was an illness related to the private region yeah. but that's not the agreed upon interpretation of yeah. the word yeah. the, interp- the correct interpretation relates to the skin, skin. Yeah, yeah the skin yeah so the skin of the chest which yeah. is fine yeah. Yeah. but uh the prof the prophets ali musalam their private areas always remain covered so we do not believe jesus was stripped naked yeah so nowadays when they have statues constructed they have a loin cloth mm. who said that the loin cloth was kept on the person crucified in the time of the romans yeah in the roman period they would strip them totally naked mm. so yeah. such denigration was not carried out upon sayyiduna isa ali salam yeah. and then the historical record Uh, is unsubstantiated with the historical record being the gospels yeah. so th- this goes into the the historicity of the gospels and how from over 300 gospels they decided uh, consensus on four gospels in the, yeah. the council of nicaea yeah. and all these other so then there's another question this is from i think this is from turkey that uh, kamalism mustafa kamal his his theory his influence on the turkish people how can a person from from turkey or a youth how can, how can he counter that turkey atheism so when you read on kamal mustafa kamal remember mustafa kamal he led the victories like gallipoli yeah against the uh, allies yeah and uh, tens of thousands of allies died at the hands of mustafa kamal because the, the ottoman soldiers were able to fight the allies and therefore 
Mustafa Kemal became a national hero. Yeah. And then he led the uh, national revolt yeah. against the allies when they occupied Turkey. Yeah. So because of this within Turkey the, uh, the love of Mustafa Kemal has entered the hearts of every Turkish national yeah. or many of the Turkish nationals like uh, Muhammad Ali Jinnah in mm. Pakistan. Yeah. That the if you insult Muhammad Ali Jinnah yeah. or the fa- what they refer to as the founding fathers of any nation in yeah. America, they have the concept of founding fathers. Britain, on the other hand, mm. yeah. the good thing about our country, Britain, is that this country is very capitalist to the core. Mm. That's not the good part. The yeah. good part is that they have no real loyalty to anyone. Mm. They change, uh, yeah. I mean, establishment. The establishment changes with what is conducive to the benefit of the country. So if Prince Charles declared himself as a Muslim tomorrow, he would be one of the many kings in line, uh, who and uh, but the one who declared himself a Muslim. As long as it's beneficial to the country, as long as he brings in good contracts from Middle Eastern nations, in order to benefit the country. So that's yeah. how Britain works. Britain doesn't have that foundation. Maybe because of the uh, the history, how yeah. the history works out, parliament versus um, uh, the monarchy and yeah. whatnot. Yeah. So the other types of nations like Pakistan, Turkey, America, the United States of America, these type of nations are found, uh, are established upon what they refer to as founding fathers. Yeah. So there is a type of programming from a young age where they must salute the flag, hmm. sing national anthems. Yeah. So it's not a very easy task to point out the faults yeah. of those founding fathers. Yeah. So the Turk that you you address must be a very objective Turk that where you look at the the pros and cons of Mustafa Kemal. Yeah. One way of doing this could be wearing the thinking hats. The thinking hats uh, where you yeah. place your, firstly, you place your uh, bl- red cap and write down all your mo- emotional points with regard to Mustafa Kamal. Then you wear your white hat, write down all your positive points about Mustafa Kamal. Mm. Wear your black hat, write all your negative points about Mustafa Kamal. Meaning yeah. the six thinking hats yeah. of... Um, uh, a method devised in order to lay out objectively what are the pros and cons. So that would maybe be a practical advice mm. that when dealing with the nationalist, nation states and nationalists are a problem yeah. because they can never think objectively. Mm. So they, remember how nation states work is that the prime objective is preservation of the national identity. Mm. So a nation, for someone who works for the ISI, Pakistani ISI, the most important thing is Pakistani identity. Yeah. Anything that undermines uh, national identity is seen as a threat to the state. Same with India's rule. Mm. India's rule uh, is similar in that regard, mm. that the, an Indian national identity. Yeah. But we, maybe it's to do with the British education, that when we uh, look at a nation, we'll look at the pros and cons. Because here... Uh, intellectuals do criticize the establishment. Yeah. They do so in America as well, mm. but more here in, in Britain, where uh, the national interests are observed, but at the same time, you look, uh, you can criticize uh, the head of state. So, yeah. 
when a white man criticizes Queen Elizabeth, it's acceptable. Yeah. Of course, when I did it, the reaction was different. Yeah. But it's uh, I'm a produce of the education received in this country. So, yeah. so Turkey, again, going back to your question, the people are programmed from a young age. Yeah. So a person would have to approach it in a way. And I think the best, prob- uh, Edward de Bono's Six Thinking Hats is That's probably the best method. So will your book be translated to Turkish? Someone's asking. Inshallah. Inshallah, the book uh, will be translated into Turkish, and uh, there are. Uh, I make a comment with regard to the Armenians, mm. and the claim. Remember, with the Armenians, what they refer to the mainstream refers to the Armenian genocide. Mm. They say the Armenian genocide, and I mentioned that there's no actual consensus on that issue. Yeah, there's no actual consensus of yeah. uh, the the uh, what they what Western. Historians refer to the Armenian genocide. There's no actual consensus. Yet it is sold by the mainstream propaganda machine as consensus. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Can uh, um, can we say uh, we were talking about rational arguments? Another approach. Uh, some people say that um, if you say to an atheist to not think but feel deep in his heart, if he or she really can deny God. Uh, is that not a good approach? What would you say about that? As we as we are born on the true fitra and we know who Allah is. Again, uh, telling someone to feel God um, should be presented in a rational manner. How? Hmm. That, for instance, we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the divine planner. A divine planner, I'm using the term yeah. planner very carefully because in Islam we do not say God plans. The one who wills and ordains. Yeah. So, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. What I'm referring to is the word mudabbir. Yeah. Yeah. The word mudabbir. Yeah. That Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, uh, He preordains for us our lives. This is a rational argument. Right. It appeals to emotion, mm. but it's not irrational. The main thing is avoiding irrational arguments. So you right. can have an, an a rational argument that appeals to emotion. Like the atheists will have some rational arguments that appeal to emotion. But the Kalam methodology is to dismantle the rational aspect and then address the emotion. And the emotions need to be addressed. And this is the the role of Ihsan, mm. yeah. the, you know, the, st- yeah. the state of perfection yeah. in Islam. That the Prophet ﷺ said, أَن تَعْبُدَ اللَّهَ كَأَنَّكَ تَرَاهُ فَإِن لَمْ تَكُنْ تَرَاهُ فَإِنَّهُ يَرَاكُ That you worship Allah as if you observe Him. And when you do not observe Him, know that He observes you. How do we observe Him? With our minds and our hearts. Yes. Right. Um, is it true that it is more difficult to deny God's existence than to prove His existence? It's more difficult to deny God's existence. Right. Okay. God's existence, the Quran states, yeah. So the, it's a rhetorical question, istifham inkari in the Quran. Yeah. Is there a doubt in Allah, the originator of the heavens and the earth? Meaning, yeah. uh, this in Arabic rhetoric is known as istifham inkari, yeah. which is what? Asking the obvious, that there is no doubt. There is no doubt. Yeah. So the, the, the default position is there is a God. Mm-hmm. The default position is there is there a God. Is a God. But what we're countering is the, the three arguments, which I summarized yeah. as what? Argument against Sharia, 
the the argument against god's divine actions uh the hijacking of science yeah i'm going to say arguments of sharia i mean islam as a divinely revealed uh, religion religion right okay. now there's many questions flying in um but i don't know which one to choose from so i'll choose this one this is sounds good sheikh what do you suggest to do to begin to move society and muslim civilization back towards golden age so again many people who discuss the golden age of islam they mean material yeah the, benefits of islam the basid time yes yeah, so uh, people who tend to ask this question they yeah. look at the material benefits of islam now in the, in the modern world yeah. we have globalization yeah. uh, where capitalism has captivated people and capitalism which is driven by science yeah so capitalism yeah driven by science yeah. so when muslims say we need to return back to the golden age do they mean we need to be like the capitalists driven by science yeah or do they mean islam yeah which promote science yeah. for the benefit of humanity and environment yeah there's a difference meaning uh, science in the past 100 years we've had the making of the new the nuclear bomb yeah and the use of the nuclear bomb yeah we've had uh, with the progress of science we've had the worst uh, military uh weaponry made in the past 100 years yeah yes with the with yeah. science yeah yeah so this is with science the future but is what the is driving science capitalism yeah yeah and communism as well yeah. at a certain period of time after the bolshevik revolution in yeah. 1917 up to the fall of the soviet in the 1980s yeah. you've had communism and capitalism driving science yeah so when people want muslims to return back to the golden age meaning they mean scientific advancement and progression uh, why are they looking to the capitalist corporate model for scientific progression this is especially amongst the bourgeois in pakistan mm. and i mentioned pakistan because it's our country of origin mm. yeah. technically i'm a kashmiri Mashallah. but pakistan is our country of origin origin yeah. and in pakistan you have the ruling elite or, or those who are secular educated yeah. that they look to the west for scientific advancement now when they look to the west they are looking at a corporate capital model that drives science but where has it driven science just yeah. to meaning pakistan and india india let me criticize india for a while because i never intend to go india with a visa but 300 million people relieve themselves without a toilet they need to go out every morning so people who went to india told me they go on a train they observe people from the countryside areas going out into the fields to relieve themselves over 300 million people and the country has cholera problems where the water is infected mm. yet india can make and construct a nuclear bo- uh, nuclear weapons yeah yes a country that can make nuclear weapons cannot even make sanitation for its citizens a country that uh, meaning this is scientific advancement even uh, modi uh, or the government prior to modi they intend to they have a lunar project a project to, yeah. to a space project mm-hmm. now you have uh, the ability to send man they've already done that 
Yeah, so they've sent satellites out yeah. and they intend to send man to the moon mm. but they cannot give sanitation mm. to the people. Yeah. So when you talk about scientific progress, what type of progress do you mean? Meaning uh, if a Muslim uh, a Muslim a ruler who is uh, ruling by Islam is governing, yeah. the first priority would be giving those 300 million people sanita- sanit- sanitation yeah. where they have clean toilets. and clean access to clean water that would be the first priority yeah. the government of pakistan yeah. the f- very first priority that they should have for five years yeah before everything else yeah. is just fix the sewers yeah the sewage forget everything else because when you have open sewage you have mosquitoes mm. increase of mosquito leads to malaria mm. it leads to water contamination yeah. lack of water preservation yeah. so the f- very first thing so when will muslims go back to the golden age when you go back to your basics mm. stop throwing rubbish on the roads mm. S- uh, meaning uh, stop uh, throwing uh, stop cutting down greenery mm. and increase water sanitation go yeah. back to the basics mm. yeah so yeah we were talking about uh, being sensible um this is something that uh, people talk on the streets in yeah. the gyms at home etc and it's a common thing they say that even criminals would admit that living a sensible life is safer and more peaceful so islam doesn't burden a person beyond the best sensible life that you can live if you can comment on that because we're talking about atheism here so even if you are not a muslim you would still find islam the most sensible way to live that is correct but without the belief in a god you will not have the motivation to avoid drink alcohol uh, drugs uh, fornication and adultery and i mention these things because many of the adverse effects of fornication adultery uh, alcohol and drugs are not uh, realized by many young younger people or mm. even elderly people yeah. they carry out these vices not knowing the adverse harmful effects of these things but there is additional prohibitions in islam we cannot charge or take interest usury because of the harmful effects of usury on the world so the cutting down of the amazon rainforest yeah. is interlinked intrinsically linked to a usury based banking today right so the, there's a clear prohibition in that mm. in islam yeah. so even the trade rules the rules of trading in islam the rules of sanitation in islam you're prohibited from defecating in a river so if we have a islamic republic and we want scientific advancement uh, the very first thing you do is you you prohibit people from even defecating in the rivers so the yeah. the coast of karachi for instance yeah. these ruling elites uh, in in pakistan and they pride themselves on western education yet they cannot mm. even sanitize the coastline of pakistan you, meaning you go to yeah. karachi, karachi and yeah. you look at the the rubbish yeah. thrown it's a selfish capitalist uh, elite that you have that ruled by capitalism and not by islam from the basic standards of islam and then they will say it's the fault of the molvi but the molvi is not the ruling elite the molvi may have his faults why does the molvi in pakistan have faults because of the madrasa system and uh, yeah. relying upon the the zakat and the the charity that's, that's given yeah. but fr- from a, a ruling establishment yeah. that claims to be educated many of them meaning this balawar this balawar hmm. uh, is an oxford graduate yeah but what has the pakistani people's party done 
for the environment in Pakistan, for sanitation, when they were in power for so long. Mm-hmm. So this ruling elite of Pakistan uh, and other countries yeah. that claim to be modern and Western educated, they cannot even uh, facilitate yeah. clean yeah. water for the, the civilians of, the, of that country. Again, as you say, that um, all these are things which are, if you understand them, Islam is sensible. So those people who criticize Muslims for being Muslims, meaning following Islam, uh, isn't that a neutral argument where you can say that, well, um, if you don't want to become Muslim, uh, yet you understand how sensible Islam is and you follow Islam, then those people who are Muslim yeah, do not criticize their belief. Because belief is something which is in the heart and practice is something which is physical. Which Most of the people. criticism of Islam relates to practice. Yeah. Mm. It relates to Sharia law. Yeah. So the, even those who are critical of Islam in Muslim-majority countries, they are critical of their perception of what they deem as being Sharia law. Yeah. What they right. deem of, as being... Yeah. Uh, and uh, an actual embodiment of Sharia law. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we, we ourselves, if we Muslims practiced Islam properly and we were sensible in doing so, then that would be another way in order to counteract um, atheism. Uh, one last question that I have uh, here is, um, can you provide some wisdom as to why belief in Allah and Islam is the only way to success and happiness? Because people, as we were mentioning earlier, yourself you mentioned as well, Generally, people are selfish. So, can you provide some wise? The, the response is the questioner when he's in a room alone in a cold room in uh-huh. a cold winter British night, uh-huh. and he has uh, only his discussion with himself. He needs to look at the role of his divine Creator in his life. The okay. role of the divine creator, sometimes it uh, comes in when a person is in dire straits, like a person who's in prison and thrown into jail. Yeah. Sometimes it comes when a person is ill and they mm-hmm. fall into illness and despair. Mm-hmm. But so, the best time to have a closeness to your divine creator is when you're in a state of prosperity. Mm-hmm. What prosperity? You have your freedom, your mind, your health, and then you make a link with your divine creator that is the time when you rea- realize when you at a later point when you may go in a point of descent yeah. uh, you will realize the importance of the divine creator in your life Check, there's a lot of questions but I'm gonna leave them there's just one I'm gonna ask which I think is the very important one um, someone's asked how does a person keep away from satanic atheism thoughts so atheism again uh, a person needs to learn uh, knowledge with regard to the uh, rational kalam arguments against atheism yeah uh, for the questioner i would advise them to read my book islam answers atheism yeah read the book the book is it will it's a toolkit yeah to counter atheists so you it's a toolkit mm. then your greater concern will not be how to counter atheist arguments after you read that book yeah. your greater concern will be how shall I improve my relationship with Allah yes and then there's one any recommend recommendations on refuting Christians 
books. Book, book, yeah. Uh, I would refer you to Izhar al-Haq. Someone said besides Izhar al-Haq. Besides Izhar al-Haq. Yeah. Um, in, in Arabic, yeah. Al-Imam Abu al-Abbas Ahmad al-Qarafi's work, yeah. uh, which he responded to Christians, um, he wrote this work many hundreds of years ago. It's in Arabic, Al-Ajwibatul Fakhir. English, English books. In English, I've, I've not read... Uh, there is one book by... Um, uh, there's a series, hmm. The Bible from an Islamic Perspective. Hmm. So this is 12 volumes. And it's written by J.R. Crook. J.R. Crook. Hmm. You do a search for this book. It's 12 volumes. You will find this. The Bible from an Islamic Perspective. This one, um, someone asked, when are you debating uh, Richard Dawson? Dawkins. Dawkins, when are you going to uh, debate him? Well, if he's available to debate, or mm. even if he accepts a debate, mm. and I'm available at any time, if there is any listener who can arrange the debate, Say you. then we'll go ahead with the debate, inshallah. Subhanallah. Uh, viewers, uh, I hope you've uh, enjoyed the program today. Um, as Sheikh said, that uh, if you can arrange the debate, subhanallah, um, he's, he's ready. Um, steady go for, for the <laughs> debate. Um, inshallah, on Sunday, this Sunday, um, half seven, seven thirty. Uh, we have a program in Kuba Masjid, uh, Stockport, uh, and the Mozu, uh, uh, the Sheikh Asrar, he'll be there as well. And the topic is Al Aqsa and the future of Islam. There's a lot of questions in regard to uh, the the revival of the Islamic uh, Khalifa, Khilafat, and how the Muslims can be successful. Inshallah, we'll ask them on the day, and Inshallah on the day we'll have questions and answer session as well. So, uh, the viewers, you are welcome to come to the Masjid as well uh, with the SOP guidelines. Uh, if you can't come, then inshallah we will be live as well. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept of the, our small effort that we've uh, done. I'd like to thank uh, Hafiz Uzair Sab. Uh, he was here for a short while. He's been uh, working with the, all our team, our brother Saqib as well. Um, and the most important killer K at the back, uh, inshallah, him as well. Okay, subhanallah, well, Doc, that's his name is. Um, and thank him as well for his questions. Uh, so. Allah accept what we've said today. Any mistakes, uh, please forgive us. Thank you, Sheikh, for coming from all the way from Birmingham. Allah Ta'ala kabul farmai. So, inshallah, assalamu alaikum. Inshallah, we'll see you next week, Friday, same time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.